If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional territories of the Coast Salish people. From above and below, dozens of searchers desperately tried to find the missing boy trying to avert yet another tragedy for Nova Scotia. It was not to be. It's hard for our hearts to mend <laughs> when we have all these tragedies unfolding in front of us one after the other. Three-year-old Dylan Ehler was visiting his grandmother yesterday afternoon. She got distracted by a dog for only a moment, and then he wandered away. Losing sight of a child is every parent or guardian's worst nightmare. The level of panic that plays out in mere seconds sends shockwaves through the nervous system. On May 6, 2020, a woman in Truro, Nova Scotia, turned her back for 18 seconds and lost sight of her grandson. One moment he was there, and the next he wasn't. Law enforcement and search and rescue officials believed that the young child was swept away in a brook, but the little boy's parents have a different theory. Tonight, we present the disappearance of Dylan Ehler, and you are listening to True North True Crime. everyone and welcome to episode 39 of True North True Crime. Thank you so much for joining us. We wanted to start off this episode with some good news. We hit a milestone with the podcast last week. We have officially hit 1 million downloads. Starting this podcast was a dream of ours and we didn't really know what it would look like or if anyone would even really listen. So we wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening and supporting the podcast. 
We are also thankful that you choose to join us a couple times a month. And we also want to thank all of our new listeners from all across the globe. And speaking of thank you, we want to thank some folks for buying the coffee this week. A big thank you to Shandy, the man known as Dave Jones, Steve J, and Nicola P. If you would like to donate some coffee for an upcoming episode, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. If merchandise is more your thing, you can pick up some True North True Crime shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, and more at our Tee Public store. We will link that in our show notes. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. So tonight we are talking about the disappearance of three-year-old Dylan Ehler. Dylan went missing from his grandmother's backyard at around 1 p.m. on May 6, 2020. He was last seen in the area of Queen Street and Elizabeth Street in Truro, Nova Scotia. Dylan is described as three years old, he is three feet tall, and he weighs 32 pounds. He has brown hair, his left eye is hazel, and his right eye is half hazel, half blue. He was last seen wearing a camouflage winter coat with a fur hood, a red dinosaur t-shirt, and camo jogging pants. He was also wearing rubber rain boots. Anyone with any information is asked to call the Truro Police Department. Tonight's episode involves a missing toddler, so we ask that you use your discretion if you choose to listen to this episode. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles. The CBC's investigative program, The Fifth Estate, recently did an episode about this case. Jordan at the Nighttime Podcast also has an interview with Dylan's father, Jason Ehler. We want to shout out the CBC veteran reporter Avery Haynes for her amazing work on this case, and Catherine Laidlaw at Wired.com for an incredibly informative article titled Rain Boots, Turning Tides, and the Search for a Missing Boy. We did connect with the family when we first started looking into this case. However, we were unable to speak with a family spokesperson before we recorded this episode. This story takes place in the town of Truro, Nova Scotia. Truro is a town of about 13,000 people located in the province of Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Truro is uniquely situated near the Bay of Fundy, which is one of the seven natural wonders of North America. The Bay of Fundy is known for having the highest tides in the world. This is actually very important to this story and will play out later in the episode. Truro has been called the heart of Nova Scotia due to its geographically central location. It is generally recognized as a good and safe place to live. Crime in the area is not necessarily high or low. As Dylan is just a toddler, it isn't possible to talk about his life without including his parents. His mother is Ashley Brown. Ashley grew up in the Truro area. Her father was a mechanic and he used to race a Monte Carlo at rallies. He would often take Ashley to these rallies, so she grew up with a big love of cars. She met Jason Ehler at a friend's house a few years back, and from what we gather, it was around 2010. Jason had grown up in a nearby farming village of Mastown. In adulthood, Jason worked out west on the oil rigs for a spell and had recently returned to Nova Scotia. Ashley was attracted to his burly, tattooed look. The two hit it off and began partying together. 
Eventually, things got serious and the couple moved in together. Ashley had a daughter from a previous relationship named Lily, so the three of them became a family. Jason had always wanted to add to the family by having a child with Ashley. In late 2016, when Ashley was 29, the couple had settled down quite a bit from their partying days. Both Ashley and Jason were working steady jobs. Jason was delivering water bottles for the Canadian Springs plant, and Ashley was detailing cars at a Hyundai dealership. It was around then that Ashley got pregnant. On April 16, 2017, Ashley gave birth to their son, Dylan Ehler. Dylan was incredibly active during pregnancy. He kicked and moved a lot in the womb, and that didn't change when he was born. As soon as he could walk, he began to run and then climb. He was an incredibly active kid, and he needed a lot of monitoring. In fact, he used to often bolt with no notice, so his parents used a child safety harness and leash in situations where they needed to have some control. Besides his rambunctious nature, Dylan could also be adorable. He loved climbing into bed with his parents and just hanging out with them in general. As a toddler, his two favorite words were mama and dada. In March of 2020, the world got hit with a global health emergency due to the novel coronavirus. In reaction to the pandemic, the Atlantic provinces created a protection measure referred to as the Atlantic bubble. Nova Scotia shut its borders and isolated the province from other parts of Canada. Like millions of Canadians, Ashley and Jason found themselves forced out of work because of the pandemic. Lily, Ashley's daughter, was now being schooled at home through remote learning. Ashley and Jason found themselves at home day after day with their children and each other. Like with many people around the globe, life stressors and frustrations seemed to be further intensified by the pandemic lockdowns. Money was usually tight for Jason and Ashley, and with the loss of their jobs, it became even tighter. Dylan celebrated his third birthday on April 16, 2020 which was a welcome break of joy from the monotony of the pandemic. But things at home were starting to get tense. Jason was in an ongoing battle with the next door neighbor that had started to escalate. And Ashley tried to escape from it all by signing up for a TikTok account. The next part of this story is an aspect that Jason and Ashley have been open about. We did not tell this part to judge them, we are adding this to the story because it has been used to cast a shadow of suspicion onto Jason and Ashley. On the morning of May 2nd, four days before Dylan went missing, things had hit a boiling point in their home. Ashley woke up exhausted. Dylan was a lot. Homeschooling was a lot and money was tight. Jason woke up to their neighbor banging on his door, itching for a fight. The neighbor eventually left but both Ashley and Jason were wound up. Neither remembers what happens next, but Ashley and Jason began screaming at each other. Ashley then hit Jason, and Jason flew into a rage. He smashed her phone and yelled, I'll kill you. The neighbors called the police, and the police arrived quickly. Ashley was charged with assault, and Jason was charged with uttering threats and mischief. They were both ordered to be in court later that summer. Incidentally, those charges were all later dropped when they attended mandatory counseling, but the damage was done. The judge issued a no-contact order. For days, Jason stayed with his parents a 15-minute drive away while Ashley took care of Dylan and Lily at home. 
The couple had to use their mothers as intermediaries, shuffling Dylan back and forth between them. This was frustrating for Jason. Jason did not get along with Ashley's mother, Dorothy. Dorothy, Dylan's grandmother, had a history of substance misuse and periodic sobriety. So in that fateful first week of May, when Dylan would eventually go missing, Ashley and Jason were living apart due to a no-contact order. On the morning of May 6th, 2020, Ashley woke up early. Dylan joined her in the bed and the two cuddled for a bit. She got him ready and the two walked to the local coffee shop together. Dylan had a chocolate donut and Ashley had a coffee. The two then walked back to their home. While back at home, Ashley got a message from a friend asking if she wanted to come over for a coffee and a ketchup. The offer was a welcome break. Ashley asked her mother, Dorothy, if she could watch Dylan for the day. Dorothy agreed. So Ashley packed Dylan a day bag, which included Dylan's harness, and she dropped him off at his grandma's house. Ashley reminded her mother that if she took Dylan outside, that she would use the harness and leash to make sure that Dylan didn't just bolt off. Ashley gave Dylan a hug and a kiss and said, be good. She then left. Dorothy's home is located in a rougher part of Truro. There are a few transitional houses and many of the homes are not well kept. But for Dylan, none of that mattered. It was a day where he got to hang out with grandma and her dog. At around 1.15 p.m. on May 6, 2020, Dorothy was in her backyard with her grandson Dylan and her dog. Dylan was not in his harness as he played in the fenced-off backyard. Dorothy states that she made a decision to tie her dog up to a post in the backyard. She turned her back on Dylan to tie the dog up. She states that this would have taken about 18 seconds. She then turned around and Dylan was gone. After doing her best to search for Dylan in the yard, she ran out onto Elizabeth Street, screaming his name. Neighbors came out to help. Dorothy begged them to call 911. The time was now 1.24 p.m. Dylan had been missing for less than 15 minutes. The police responded within four minutes and began searching the area. Ashley was at her friend's house having a coffee and a chat when her father arrived in his pickup truck. He told her to get in the truck, which she did. Once inside the truck, her father stated, Dylan's gone missing. Ashley and her father then drove to the house on Elizabeth Street to join in the search for three-year-old Dylan Ehler. Jason Ehler woke up that morning eager to see Dylan. He was staying with his own mother due to the no-contact order that had been imposed after the domestic assault incident. He asked his mother if he could get Dylan and bring him over. His mother agreed. At this point, Jason did not know that Dylan was at Dorothy's. Jason could not text Ashley because he had broken her phone while they were fighting. Jason wanted to get a hold of Ashley, so he texted Dorothy around 2 p.m. He did not get a response, so he continued texting, again, without a response. Eventually, he drove over to Dorothy's house to find out where Ashley and Dylan were. When he arrived at the house, it had an active police presence. Immediately, Jason explained to the police that he wasn't there to break his no-contact order. He just wanted to see his son, which he was legally allowed to do. A police officer took him aside and explained that Dylan was missing. 
As stated, the police arrived on the scene within four minutes, and after lightly canvassing the area, the police began to focus on Leper Brook. Leper Brook is a waterway that travels past Dorothy's backyard. Leper Brook empties into the nearby Salmon River, which empties into the Bay of Fundy. At the time of Dylan's disappearance, Leper Brook had an unusually high water level, and the current was very strong. An Amber Alert was not issued as Dylan did not fit the criteria for an Amber Alert, meaning no one saw him being abducted. Truro police state that they put out a bulletin to officers and on their social media immediately. At 3.45, the Truro police called in the search and rescue team to work the area. The search and rescue team can only be activated by the police in the case of a missing person. So while the search and rescue team may have known about Dylan being missing, they were not allowed to join the search until they were activated by police, two hours after the police arrived at the scene. The search and rescue team searched the area in and around Leper Brook. Sadly, they would make a discovery that would change the direction of this investigation. We are now gonna take a quick break to check in with our sponsors. The companies who choose to advertise on this podcast are instrumental in allowing us to tell these stories. So please check them out. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. And we are back. So before the break, we outlined the day that three-year-old Dylan Ehler went missing. Dylan was at his grandmother's house on Elizabeth Street in Truro, Nova Scotia. While his grandmother was tying up her dog to a fence post, she turned her back on the toddler. When she turned back, he was gone. Police arrived within four minutes after they were called. Family members and neighbors canvassed the area. Search and rescue was deployed over two hours later and also began searching the area. The main area of their search was Leper Brook, which runs parallel to Elizabeth Street. Leper Brook is located through dense brush about 80 meters behind Dorothy's house. In the summer months, Leper Brook is usually ankle deep in spots, but during flood season, the brook can be waist high on an adult. 
The SAR team deployed boats, divers, underwater cameras, and battled through the high waters of Leper Brook. The searchers came across an area of the brook which was on a bend that created a bit of a whirlpool effect where rushing water gathered. Inside of the swirling bend was a large amount of debris, some natural like trees and branches, but some of the debris was human-caused, like garbage and general refuse. Six hours into the search, the searchers found a submerged shopping cart. Inside of that shopping cart was one of Dylan Ehler's rubber rain boots. A short while later, and about 60 feet down the brook, near where the brook connects to the Salmon River, searchers found Dylan's other boot submerged underwater. The discovery of the boots would solidify the police theory that Dylan had run out of his grandmother's backyard, then found his way to the brook, where he was swept away and tragically drowned. The official search for Dylan's remains lasted six days. It included divers, boats, a search dog, a helicopter, and several search teams in training. Volunteers and citizens of Truro joined in the search and shared information online. The community brought blankets, towels, donuts, drones, and anything they could that they thought would help the searchers. Several Facebook groups started up with the best of intentions. But for Jason and Ashley, the drowning theory didn't make sense, especially without finding a body. Jason has some very valid objections to the idea that Dylan walked to the brook. Dylan had never been to the brook and did not know it was there. His grandmother Dorothy didn't even know it was there and she had lived in that house for over a decade. There are two ways for Dylan to get to the brook. He would have exited the backyard through the corner of the yard behind the neighbor's house. There's a rough path that leads down to the brook and just below that, there's a bit of a log jam in the brook of trees and debris. About 50 feet down the water from there is where they found the first boot. The other theory is that Dylan walked out onto Elizabeth Street and then walked along the railway tracks to the brook. Both of these ideas are hard to fathom, not impossible, but they do take some suspended disbelief. Would a toddler walk over 80 meters along either a road or through brush to get to a brook that he had never been to? Would the child then jump into or play in a rushing brook? that is waist deep for an adult. According to one search and rescue handbook, there is a 3% probability of a child choosing to enter or go near a body of water. Jason argues the physics of it all as well. Dylan's boots are incredibly light and small, but instead of flowing down the brook and into the river, they were caught in debris and stopped. On the other hand, Dylan was 32 pounds and was somehow easily swept away by the current without being caught in any of the debris that was in the stream. None of Dylan's other clothing has been found, not his winter coat or his jogging pants. His body has also never been found. So the question that Jason and Ashley battle with is, is it possible for a toddler to run 80 plus meters to the brook and then fall in? Is this what happened? On the evening of Wednesday, May 3rd, 2020, the Truro Police Service, Colchester Ground Search and Rescue, and air support from the Department of Natural Resources conducted a trial using a mannequin in Leper Brook and Salmon River. The mannequin, approximately the same height and weight of Dylan, with radio frequency equipment attached, was launched into Leper Brook. 
This mannequin was tracked overhead by helicopter and reporting stations were set up along the Salmon River to capture the signal. Data was collected and mapped, but searchers were unable to locate Dylan. It is important to note that the water levels were much lower and the weather conditions were much different on this day. According to Jason Ehler, the mannequin got stuck on debris more than half a dozen times. The rescue workers in kayaks and canoes had to force the mannequin out of the debris fields multiple times in order to make it continue to float. The mannequin also got stuck on the support columns of the two bridges in the area along the Salmon River. The mannequin did not make it to the Bay of Fundy, nor did it make it anywhere without being helped along by the research team. Tensions began to rise with Ashley and Jason on one side and the Truro police on the other. Jason and Ashley were not satisfied with the Truro Police Service's investigation or their theory that Dylan drowned in Leper Brook. Jason believed that the police should have alerted the public earlier than they did about Dylan's disappearance. It has been speculated that it took police three hours to issue the first public alert. Ashley criticized the police for believing too quickly that Dylan was in the brook. As a result, they did not block off any streets or stop any cars leaving the area. A private investigator hired by Jason and Ashley states that the police did not canvass any of the houses on nearby Queen Street. Jason began furiously posting on Facebook and being very critical of the police investigation. He also posted videos that he secretly recorded of private meetings with the lead investigators. Along with social media fighting, Jason also sent a relentless stream of emails to the investigators criticizing their work. Jason also organized a protest out front of the Truro police station that ended up filling the lobby. Eventually, they were asked to leave due to COVID protocols. Finally, the chief of police and the investigators had enough. They banned Jason from any in-person meetings with investigators. They agreed to update Jason once a week by email, and that would be the extent of their communication with him. A letter from the deputy chief of police states the following, quote, with regards to Dylan's father not being permitted to attend future meetings with the Truro Police Service, this difficult decision was made as a result of a number of abusive emails, voicemails, and social media posts received from Jason Ehler and directed at not only the Truro police officers, but also members of the Colchester search and rescue team. These men and women have volunteered their time to look for Dylan, conducting 19 searches since his disappearance. These volunteers have logged 2,500 hours and have used multiple different methods to search for Dylan. Mr. Ehler continues to post misinformation about his son's disappearance and all attempts by police investigators to share information with him have led to him misconstruing facts. This misinformation has been harmful to the ongoing investigation. At this time, there is no evidence that Dylan was a victim of foul play. Truro Police sympathizes with Dylan's father and has been patient with Mr. Ehler. We will continue to update Dylan's family on the investigation as new information becomes available. As time moved on, Jason and Ashley would face unprecedented scrutiny. The community support soon turned to suspicion and Jason and Ashley would end up facing the vicious mob of social media. Our podcast is a member of many missing and unsolved murder groups on Facebook. 
We use these groups to gather facts and connect with family members who need help. However, we have watched many of these groups start out amazingly supportive and then devolve into libel, defamation, slander, and stalking. What we saw happen to Jason and Ashley is next-level character assassination and an unhinged social media mob. Multiple groups sprung up on Facebook to discuss the disappearance of Dylan Ehler. The worst of these groups was called Dylan Ehler Topics and Discussion. The group had over 17,000 members, most of them from the Truro area. While most people have the best of intentions and want to help, some people in these groups get obsessed and swept up in the mob. Armchair detectives, sleuthers, and psychics floated all manner of nonsense over the course of months. People criticized Jason and Ashley for crying too much or not enough. They got mad that Ashley did her hair or wore a nose ring that they hadn't seen before. People posted that Ashley, quote, looked too good. People claimed that Ashley and Jason were stealing the GoFundMe money. The online mob poured over Jason and Ashley's criminal records and social media accounts with a fine-tooth comb and a disregard for due process. Assumptions were made instead of facts presented. And then one day, one eager Facebooker made a discovery which changed things forever for Ashley and Jason. For the mob, it was the online equivalent of a smoking gun. Like many people during the pandemic, Ashley had made a TikTok account. And like many people, she took part in some of the memes and trends on the platform. Two TikTok videos that Ashley had posted in April of 2020 surfaced in the Facebook group. The first video was a parody lip sync of a popular Disney song. In the years since the Disney movie Frozen has come out, more than 100,000 people had participated in a popular and dark humor meme on TikTok. It's basically a parody of the movie's song, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Except the user lip syncs along to the words, Will you help me hide a body? Come on, we can't delay. No one can see him on the floor. Get him out the door before he can decay. Here is the audio. Come on, we can't delay. What did you do? No one can see him on the floor. Get him out the door before he can decay. In the second TikTok, Ashley sits with Dylan on her lap. She lip syncs to a quote from the Netflix show Tiger King. Ashley lip syncs along to the line, Do you ever just look at somebody and think to yourself, This little motherfucker is going to be the reason that I go to jail? Here's the audio clip. You ever just look at somebody? And think to yourself, this mother gonna be the reason I go to jail. After these videos came out, all hell broke loose. Ashley began receiving threats through her DMs. Here is one message that came in on May 12th at 2.30 in the morning. You're, spelled wrong, a disgusting bitch. I hope you get it in jail. Making till talks, spelled wrong, with your, spelled wrong, son, saying that type of thing. What kind of mother are you? Here's one from May 10th at 3.08 p.m. Thou shalt not kill. God knows what you both have done. He's going to be the one that judges you end of days, but you're, spelled wrong, going to hell for killing your son. Here is a public post from Facebook 
Yeah. That boy whose boots they found? Yeah, they killed their child. Remember the TikTok videos she had on her Facebook? Oh, how to hide a body? Talking about her child. Then a week later, her child goes missing, but find his boots? And then there is this post from another member of the Facebook group. Quote, his mother and grandmother have killed him. They are known Satan worshippers. This was a sacrificial ritual on the full moon to Satan, which is why the mother does not seem as remorseful as we would expect. She believes that she did a good, all caps, thing. A medium named Jada Brooke, who claims to be based in New York, joined the chaos in one of the Facebook groups in a Facebook Live post. She described visions she'd seen of Dylan. Jada Brooke stated, the family is known to be into dark magic. As somebody who's involved in magic myself and does rituals, I believe Dylan was offered as a sacrificial sentiment to Satan on the pink full Scorpio moon. I think they thought they were doing a good thing, and part of me thinks that's why the mother and grandmother are not showing more remorse. What they did is simply killing a child. She also stated, I had a vision of him being kicked down a set of stairs. That was actually verified to me, she told viewers, providing no evidence. She said she'd had a vision of a shallow grave between two trees, five or six feet apart, on a property that also held a red and white truck. This post inspired a group of vigilantes to break into a trailer that was on a farmer's field. Inside the trailer, they found nothing but a bale of hay, which the psychic then said was also suspicious, obviously hoping to hold on to her grift or scam. Other vigilantes destroyed Dylan's stuffed toy enshrined memorial, believing that Dylan was buried underneath. Other angry Facebook mobbers stood outside Ashley and Jason's home recording them with their phones and intimidating them with their presence. Jason and Ashley begged the group's admins to shut down the group, but the admins refused. Things got so bad that members inside of the group started collecting screenshots to help Jason and Ashley. Even the admins of some of the groups became targets in their own groups, which made them shut down the Facebook groups. But new groups would start just as soon as old ones would shut down, many of these being run by people with fake names. Eventually, Jason and Ashley were approached by a well-intentioned lawyer who offered to file a defamation lawsuit for them and get the groups shut down. The administrators of one group in particular were local Truro residents, a couple named April Moulton and Tom Hurley, who lived down the road from the backyard where Dylan was last seen. April Moulton examined the case from every angle and explored each theory. As time dragged on, she grew obsessive about Dylan's story, posting at all hours of the night. In late January 2021, Jason and Ashley filed a lawsuit against April Moulton and Tom Hurley, asking the court to order the couple to shut down their Facebook group and stop posting about their family. Ashley and Jason would win their lawsuits when a settlement was reached. In an order signed in May 2021 in Nova Scotia Supreme Court, April Moulton was prohibited from reopening that discussion group or starting another one like it. April Moulton is also prohibited from making any further public posts about Dylan Ehler or his parents. That ended the court action against her. 
At that time, Tom Hurley, the other admin, would not sign the agreement. So a court date was set for August 3rd, 2021. Hurley then relented at the end of July and signed the deal, closing the case against both of the group's creators. Dylan's parents had requested financial damages from Moulton and Hurley for the grief caused by the online harassment. But as a part of the settlement, Jason and Ashley agreed to not pursue financial damages. They just wanted the bullying to stop. Outside of the social media drama, Jason and Ashley have also had to deal with the dark and sinister world of ransom demands. Jason has received more than half a dozen demands for ransom. Some ask for as little as $200, while others ask for tens of thousands or untraceable Bitcoin. Jason has been sent Photoshop photos of Dylan that portray him covered in bruises. One person threatened to throw Dylan out of a truck while driving down the highway. One threat came in from a user named Brad. It reads, Dylan is with me. He is all right. You shouldn't have cooperated with the police. This created unnecessary problems. My patience has run out. Send me three Bitcoin within 72 hours. Otherwise, you will not see him again. There will be no other chance. These ransom threats were hard to trace and led investigators nowhere. Lost in all of the chaos created by community members and sometimes the family themselves is Dylan, a missing three-year-old boy. There are two main theories. The first theory is that Dylan drowned. Earlier in this episode, we mentioned the Bay of Fundy and that the Bay of Fundy has the highest tidal changes in the world. The Bay of Fundy has a 50-foot tidal change every six hours. So just to understand what this all means, Leper Brook feeds into the Salmon River, which feeds into the Bay of Fundy. Salmon River is called a tidal river. This means that the river flows both ways depending on the tidal change happening in the Bay of Fundy. So at times the Salmon River is feeding into the Bay of Fundy, but when the tide changes, massive amounts of brackish ocean water is sent up the river and also up into Leper Brook. This event creates phenomena like reverse rapids and whirlpools. This makes the Salmon River and therefore Leper Brook at times very powerful and very dangerous waterways. In this theory, Dylan would have made his way down to the brook and was swept away into the brook and then down the river. The water of the river is muddy and filled with debris like entire trees. Finding someone in these waters would be incredibly difficult. Being swept away in these waters, these dark, murky, debris-filled waters would be incredibly disorienting and impossible to fight, especially for a child. The other main theory is that Dylan was abducted. In this theory, perhaps Dylan made it out onto the road and was picked up by someone. The abductor then made their way to the railway bridge and tossed Dylan's boots into Leper Brook. The only real evidence to support this theory is that there's never been a body found. The main focus was a search and rescue, and we are not privy to the avenues of the police investigation. However, it does not appear that abduction was the focus. While this theory may have some credence, we will never know. As of today, Dylan Ehler has been missing since May 6, 2020. His body has never been found. Our hearts go out to Ashley, Jason, and their families. No one prepares you on how to act and what to do when a loved one goes missing. Jason and Ashley are not perfect people. None of us are. They did not deserve the hate that they experienced. 
Since Dylan's disappearance, Ashley has become isolated. She lost her only son. She has drifted from friends and family who she feels abandoned her. She avoids her old grocery store and public spaces. She no longer speaks to her mom, Dorothy, who she feels hasn't been completely forthcoming. She rarely speaks to Jason's family, who she says believed she was involved once they saw the TikTok videos. For Jason, his life is spent searching. He got a drone with search and rescue software. He walks the banks of the Salmon River almost daily, usually alone. The Facebook drama made a lot of people stop helping in the search. So Jason searches for his son all by himself. Jason states that the only time I feel at peace is when I'm looking for Dylan. To this day, Jason and Ashley do not believe Dorothy's story of turning around to tie up the dog for 18 seconds. They feel that there is something missing from the story. Jason states, something is wrong with her story. I have felt it since day one. It was reported by the Fifth Estate that Dorothy has taken three lie detector tests. We do not know the results of those tests. If you would like to support the search for Dylan, there is a Facebook group that Jason and Ashley are active in. It's called, I Am Missing, Dylan Ehler Search Updates. We will link that in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Based on the information that we have provided in this episode about missing and murdered groups on social media, we ask that anyone joining any of these groups posts respectfully. Canada has some pretty robust defamation laws, and courts across the country have been siding with plaintiffs over defamatory social media posts that cause damage to a person's character. Dylan Ehler was last seen near Elizabeth Street and Queen Street in Truro, Nova Scotia on May 6, 2020. Dylan is described as three years old, three feet tall, and weighing 32 pounds. He has brown hair, his left eye is hazel, and his right eye is half hazel, half blue. He was last seen wearing a camouflage winter coat with a fur hood, a red dinosaur t-shirt, and camouflage jogging pants. There is currently a $20,000 reward for his safe return or information leading to his whereabouts. If you have any information about this case, we ask that you call the Toro Police Service. We want to thank you for joining us for this episode of True North True Crime. We hope you have an amazing holiday season, and we want to thank you for being a part of this podcast. Please subscribe to True North True Crime on your platform of choice. Our producers on the podcast are Shandy, Jessa, Sarah B.W., Lisa Marie, Amy's Book Reviews, Thomas E., Susan S., Alex and Andrea P., Kennedy, Alberta, Cindy McD., Blair M., Alyssa S., CJ Gize, Anastasia, Ariel E., Melanie E., Kelly D., Carolyn M., Emily L., Jason D., Jimmy H., Tiffany C., Keith R., Mari M., Lorena, Queen Nebula, Maureen, Jesse D.R., Louise Rickshaw, and the Missing and Unexplained Podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Tired of 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.